You're listening to Alive and Powerful with Pastor Scott Morrison. Alive and Powerful is the radio ministry of Foothills Calvary, a fresh and growing fellowship in Lakewood, Colorado. We invite you to come and join us as we study the Word together, Sunday mornings at 9 and 11 a.m. We meet at 12344 West Alameda Parkway in Lakewood, just a few blocks west of Union and Alameda. For more information about Foothills Calvary, please visit our website at foothillscalvary.org. That's foothillscalvary.org. We hope you are blessed by today's message. Now, here's Pastor Scott. So anybody know the, the, the Next Door Neighbor app? I guess any of you do that? It's kind of like a small version of Facebook, I suppose. It's more community-oriented. When we moved into this building, um, I used this address to sign up for it. It gives me kind of a snapshot of our kind of community that surrounds us, right? And I opened it up the other day, and, and I saw a, a post about a lost dog. I said, lost dog with three legs. Blind in left eye, missing right ear, tail broken, recently injured, answers to the name Lucky. (laughs) We all tend to struggle with suffering. In that, certainly, we do not feel lucky. Uh, When do you feel lucky? Now, I know someone is going to probably email me, uh, but humor me for a minute. Some of us you know, well, obviously as Christians, we don't believe in luck. We believe in God's divine providence, right? But just humor me with the luck for a moment. Imagine yesterday morning, you got up and got a little early and you wanted to get up here to Starbucks before the crowd, before it got busy. So you're driving up Alameda and you're going 25 miles an hour over the speed limit. First of all, shame on you. You're flying up the hill, you get ever closer to Starbucks and you're almost there and you see LPD with his little gun out there checking speed. You get that gut feeling. Any of you ever had that gut feeling? Stop speeding. Then you won't have that feeling. <laughs> well, you get that gut feeling. You know that you're busted. And as you're getting closer and you see that, that police officer, he just looks at you, waves and smiles. And you go on by. And you get to Starbucks. You get to the coffee shop without a speeding ticket. And you think for a minute, wow, that was crazy. And as you're in line for coffee, though, I'm sure you weren't filled with regret. I'm sure you weren't thinking, well, this, man, it wasn't right. He should have pulled me over. I know, when I get my coffee, I'm going back to him and I'm gonna ask for my ticket. Probably didn't do that, did you? You were thinking, man, was I lucky. And being the good Christian you are, you might even have said, thank you, Jesus. Now, let's say this morning, you're coming up Alameda and you're going five miles an hour over the speed limit and the same officer is parked in the same spot and he pulls you over and he gives you a ticket. Immediately, you and most likely even I would say, God, I can't believe that you allowed that to happen to me. Why would you let me get, I'm coming to church, I was gonna sing to you and you let me get a ticket. Sometimes we cause our own suffering, don't we? We see suffering in our world and and we do everything we can to avoid it. And when it comes to us suffering personally, then we shift and we tend to ask God why. We, We begin to question his love. Do you really love me? Author Philip Yancey wrote a book in 2002 called Where is God When It Hurts? 
In the book, he says that most people would say, God made a, a good, good world with one mistake, and that's pain. And in 2014, he wrote another book called Why? The Question That Never Goes Away. Yancey had received a phone call that requested he, he go to the East Coast and speak to parents from Newton, Connecticut, after the school shooting at Sandy Hook Elementary. It's where 26 people were shot down. 20 kids and six adults lost their lives. They wanted him to, to come talk to them about pain and suffering and God. And, and the Lord had shown him something in the midst of research for that new book, uh, why the question that never goes away. He had a moment of wisdom and as he was researching and He'd been reading books from atheists like Richard Dawkins, Christopher Hitchens, and Sam Harris, all New York Times best-selling uh, atheistic authors. He's processing this all as he's asked to speak to Sandy Hook community. He said, there's a question that's much harder than where is God when it hurts? And it's more like where is no God when it hurts? He explains it this way. The atheists will tell people that the universe is random and there's just sort of this blind indifference rather than a meaning or a purpose behind it. He said, I noticed that these atheists are never asked to come speak at such places like Sandy Hook Elementary because whatever they would have to say would never bring comfort to parents. Imagine somebody standing up after a huge tragedy like this and saying, well, the universe is random. Bad things happen. Get used to it. Your children don't live anymore. That's just what happens. Survival of the fittest. Well, there's no comfort in that. So pastors, Christian authors, chaplains, they're the ones that are called to speak because a Christian will stand up and give hope in the midst of disaster. A Christian will stand up and say, what happened was a tragedy. It should never have happened. We should grieve. We should be angry at that type of evil in our world. However, as a Christian, we believe that there is a good God who loves us and will make all things work together for good if you will just trust in him. That brings hope. That's probably the best part of being a pastor, uh, seeing somebody grab a hold of hope and, and see their spirits lifted. It's also one of the hardest parts of being a pastor. I love walking through life with people, being in youth ministry years and years ago and seeing them now with families and engaged in, in life and, and, and ministry. I love walking through the good times. And there's also bad times. There's marriage and baby dedication, raising kids. There's also sickness and accidents, death. That's the cycle. I remember how awesome it was, the, the first wedding that I officiated for one of our former youth. Just how fun that was, how exciting it was just to, to see that there was this, this punk little kid. He's <laughs> now an adult. He's a man, and he's getting married. He's dedicating that marriage to God. That, that brings hope. It brings encouragement. It was awesome. So I love the healthy aspect of life and ministry, but there is that cycle. That cycle includes that mixture of, of death and suffering and hope and joy. The S word, suffering. Peter mentions suffering 21 times in this letter. 
And we've talked about it in this study, and we've studied it, and, and it's going to come up more before we get out of the book of Peter. Be strong. Be hopeful in the midst of suffering. We need to develop that doctrine. We've talked about this, a doctrine of suffering. What, is, what does that look like, and what do we believe, and why do we believe it? This morning, we're going to approach suffering by living in wisdom in the midst of suffering. What things should we do, and what things should we avoid? Don't be caught off guard by suffering. Don't be fearful of suffering. If you suffer, and, and you will, make sure it's for the right reasons. And then also we need to make sure that we're sensitive to suffering. So first we begin with not being caught off guard. Don't be surprised when suffering comes. First Peter 4.12, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you which comes upon you for your testing, as though some strange thing were about to happen to you. He starts with that word beloved. See, he's writing to his flock. This is not just a, a random group of people that he's uh, reaching out to. The, the, this is Pastor Peter. He has a shepherd's heart. These are people that he loves. He's saying, I love you and God loves you. And that makes the majority. I ask the same thing I would say to you as your pastor. I love you and God loves you. And that makes the majority. God is on your side. He's got his hand on you. Peter jumps right in. Don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you which comes upon you for your testing as though some strange thing were happening to you. Don't be caught off guard. Don't, don't think it's weird or strange when you suffer. It's not unusual when you suffer. Suffering happens to everyone. It's common. But that's not our first reaction. Our first reaction is, no, this isn't right. It shouldn't be happening. Right? This is where word of faith and name it and claim it and all that stuff really messes things up. Because they're saying, nope, everybody should be happy, everybody should be healthy, everybody should be prosperous. If you have enough faith, that's what you will be. Well, they're dismissing what God's word says. Someone had posted a conversation that was also written up in uh, Reader's Digest it was from a husband who was on Flight 93 uh, on 9-11. It was called The Untold Story. It was about Flight 93, the flight that crashed in Pennsylvania. In the article, it mentioned that one of the passengers aboard managed to make a phone call to his wife. He told her, our, our plane has just been hijacked. There are three men on board who say they have a bomb. They've already killed one passenger. Please call the authorities. On the other end of the phone was his wife, and the entire conversation was going on. Her, her thoughts were, no, 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 no. We have a, a good marriage. This, this can't be happening. We have a great marriage. We have good jobs. We have great kids. Things like this don't happen to people like us. But it was happening to her. So as you share the hope of the gospel message, You'll see things like this. This is what people will do. It's their favorite reason to reject the God of the Bible. They'll say, well, if God is so full of love and is all-powerful, how in the world could he allow evil to exist? And as we study this, we see the formal term of this is theodicy. 
theologians and philosophers and, and everyone really has struggled with this very same question. George Barna did a survey years ago asking people, if you could ask God one question, what would it be? And the answer overwhelmingly was, why would you allow so much evil, suffering, and pain on the earth? As we look at any pain and suffering, we wouldn't be so concerned if it was just bad people who suffered, right? You know, a hardened criminal with broken bones, murderers with cancer, all of us, Christian or non-Christian, we'd agree that that would be justice, but it's not just the bad guys that suffer. Bad things happen to innocent people. Suffering happens across all of creation. It doesn't care about race or gender or age. And that's where non-Christians back a Christian into a corner and say, see, God's not real. You can't even answer that question. It truly is hard. We all wrestle with it. But then it's time for us to practice apologetics. That is giving a defense for the Bible, giving a defense for the gospel message. For someone to say that there is so much evil means that at some level they had to admit that there was some supreme form of good. And when you're in school and the teacher passes out the graded papers, one has 90 on it, one has 60 on it, one has 40 on it. It means that there's a standard of 100 perfect that is set. Perfection that everything else is weighed against. So if there is no God, where then did we get the standard of goodness from that we measure evil? In apologetics, it's called the problem of good, the moral argument. C.S. Lewis puts it this way, if the universe is so bad, then how on earth did human beings ever come to attribute the universe to the activity of a wise and good creator? If more than 90% of all the people who ever lived on earth, usually in more painful circumstances than any of us will ever see, if 90% of the people who have ever lived and not believed in God, then where did that notion come from? If there is no God, then there are no ultimate values. If there's no ultimate values, then there's no such thing as good or evil. You can just do whatever you want then. It then becomes a meaningless conversation. There's something that we have to remember as we read this this morning before we move forward, and we've alluded to this in our study earlier in 1 Peter, but that fiery ordeal or that fiery trial that he's talking about, it's important. It's believed that this letter was written by Peter in 64 AD. A historically significant thing happened in the middle of 64 AD. For nine weeks, starting July 16th, Rome burned. Basically, it burned to the ground. Most of the people believed that it was Emperor Caesar Nero that started the fires. You see, he loved to build. He didn't like the old city, so he burned it down, and he rebuilt it the way he wanted it to be. He wanted to expand it. He wanted to renew it into something he wanted to his liking. He would never admit to starting those fires. But it's written historically as he watched the fires burn with glee. If anybody tried to put the fires out, Roman soldiers were sent to stop them, and then they would start new fires. So the people of Rome lost everything. They lost their homes, their businesses. Some of them even lost loved ones. 
So they were rising up. They were ready to remove Nero by force. Nero was aware of this and he knew he needed to do something. He needed to look for somebody to, to blame it all on. Who better than to blame the Christians? No one liked them anyways. So he said, they did it. And to reinforce the storyline, he took many of them. He covered them with pitch. He impaled them on poles and he lit them on fire to light the imperial gardens at night. This was the beginning of 200 years of persecution of the Christians in Rome. So we believe that this was written towards the end of the year. So when he writes his words, you can think of how strange and how pointed these words would sound to a Roman believer, to a Christian who lived then. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you which comes upon you for your testing as though some strange thing were happening to you. Charles Stanley says, the, the believers in the early church were no doubt confused about the suffering and the persecution they were enduring. Sometimes we are as well. In our earthly reasoning, we think that because God is all-powerful and loves us perfectly, that he should stop hardships from assailing our lives. We fail to remember that the Lord is also absolutely wise and that he uses adversity to deepen our relationship with him and display his glory to the world. That's why we've shifted at the end of service to say, may your faith be seen and God be glorified in everything you do. See, it's even the bad things that we go through can be used to glorify God. Not hidden, not pushed away. So don't be caught off guard by your suffering. Don't be surprised. The second thing is don't be fearful of suffering. Don't be scared of it. 1 Peter 4, 13 through 14 says, but to the degree which you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing so that also the revelation of his glory may rejoice with exaltation. If you are reviled for the name of Jesus Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Peter, here he says, hey, it's a possibility that you're going to get lit on fire. Rejoice. Thanks, Pastor Peter. Sounds like James as well. Consider it all joy when you encounter various trials. How many of you are joyful when you suffer and you got trials? It's not our first response, is it? This is hard for my little brain to grasp at times. Here they are blaspheming God, yet their actions of persecuting you as a Christian, God is being glorified. How do you think those whom Peter was writing to originally received it? Hi, this is Pastor Scott from Foothills Calvary. I hope the Lord is speaking to you through today's message. I wanted to just take a second and invite you to join us for worship services at Foothills Calvary. We meet Sundays at 9 and 11 a.m. at 12344 West Alameda Parkway in Lakewood, just a few blocks west of Union and Alameda. If you'd like more information on Foothills Calvary, please visit our website at foothillscalvary.org. Now let's get back to our study. I pray that the Lord will continue to speak to you by his Holy Spirit. Really? Rejoice in the midst of this? See, Peter's trying to remind them that 
We have no right to expect better treatment as believers than Jesus received from this world. How did they treat Jesus? Beat him, hung him on a cross. And Peter knows that they're suffering. Peter also knows that his suffering is going to be coming as well, that his martyrdom is just around the corner. He lifts that suffering up. He, he brings honor to it. He tells them to hold steady in the midst of it. It's like your house. How many of you have a basement? And what do you put in the basement? First service, somebody said kids. <laughs> we put the stuff in the basement that's like not the good stuff, right? Maybe the old couch, maybe the old bed, maybe the old TV, right? Kind of put stuff down there. You store things. That's where you would like probably store the suffering as well. <laughs> put it in the basement. Nobody wants that. So Peter here, he takes suffering out of the basement. He brings it up and he puts it in the living room where everybody can see it. He, he puts it on display. If you suffer for the right reason, it's an honorable thing to do. You're suffering for Christ. It's honorable. Hold steady in your faith. C.S. Lewis was asked, why do the righteous suffer? And he answered, why not? They're the only ones that can take it. They'll do it differently than somebody else. They'll respond differently in suffering than, than somebody who's not a believer. I'm not sure how people without a relationship with Jesus made it through the last two years of COVID. How did they do it? We know the, the alcohol and drug abuse went up and addictions went up and, and uh, suicide rate went up. That's how they handled it. If that's the case, how are they going to make it through what is yet to come? How are they going to respond when the pressure gets even greater? Thank God for Jesus. In all of this, I want to make sure that we're not dismissing evil. As a Christian, we can't be naive about evil. And you know, sometimes we do that. We get these hard things. And we kind of put them off to the side and, and we just think, well, if I don't look at it, it's not there. That's just Jenna Rose. <laughs> right? We try to dismiss things. If we don't address it, then it's not there. But it is indeed real. Evil does exist. In the 1800s, Mary Aker Eddy Mary Baker Eddy started a belief system, and actually it's a cult known as Christian science. She had an issue with doctrine. She believed that evil does not exist. It's an illusion. She even said that death was an illusion. Well, the illusion of her death was in December of 1910. Christian science, it's always baffled me. How many of you eat grape nuts? Anybody? Grape nuts? How many grapes are in that box? How many nuts are in that box? None. Just a bunch of flakes, right? Kind of flakes. They're weird flakes. I'm not really sure what they are. Christian science is just like grape nuts. There's nothing Christian. There's nothing scientific about it at all. Being deceived by some metaphysical mind game does no one any good. Just because you say it or you dismiss it doesn't mean it is. That's why it's important for us 
to stay focused in God's word and know what it is we believe and why we believe it. So as a Christian, we're not naive to suffering, to evil, and to hardships. It's all real. The question then becomes, how are we going to handle it? There's something else that's true. God is in absolute control of his creation and of the universe. He's the one that made it. But not everybody believes that to be true. And there's a teaching called open theism or process theology. It says this. It says God is in the process of becoming a better God. God doesn't know what's going to happen tomorrow. Thus, he's not in control of it. So every day he's learning new things. He's a deity in process or progress. So today, God is a better God than he was yesterday because more things have happened and he's learning more things. They actually believe that and espouse that. That's how they deal with the thought or the problem of evil, pain, and suffering in our world. They picture God moving through the day saying, oops. And to me, I say, that's a big cup of nope. Evil exists, and God even permits evil to exist. But there's something else within that. God has a purpose in it purpose that can actually be helpful. Peter says that he is glorified. How does that work? God is glorified when I suffer and it's helpful? We've talked about this. We've worked through it. Seems that I'm living it at times on a daily basis. My prayer is that by now you believe that also to be true. Suffering does a few things for us as we walk through those trials and those tribulations. One, it makes you pure. It purifies you like nothing else can. Remember back in 1 Peter 1, 6 and 7, in this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials. So that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So God, like a goldsmith, heating the gold and pouring it back and forth in its liquid form and each time scraping the impurities off and you're purified. It purifies you. Suffering also humbles you. Those of us who struggle with pride are quickly corrected when suffering comes. The Apostle Paul, who in my eyes doesn't seem prideful, but admitted that pride was a temptation to him. Think about it. He personally heard God speak, and he saw some amazing miracles. He could get some holy arrogance going, couldn't he? He could. He had the right to. He saw some amazing things. In 2 Corinthians 12, 7, it says, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. To keep him from exalting himself. A sharp thorn given to him. A message to torment him. Whatever it was, and, and the scholars and theologians, they debate what was this thorn. It, it could have been eye condition. It could have been uh, malaria. It could have been some crazy person following him everywhere that he went to teach and engage. 
could have been repercussions left over from the stoning that he endured. Whatever it was, it kept him in a state of humility and surrender before the Lord. Remember, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. We humble ourselves before him, he'll lift us up. But it's in that humility that we've got to approach him. So suffering will purify you and it will humble you. Next, it also keeps us dependent. Suffering makes us depend on God like nothing else. When you're weak, you lean on something, right? You, you lean on a crutch. Uh, you use a walker or maybe walk with a person or maybe have a cane. You know, with Pam going through all the stuff she's been going through, I'm that steady arm everywhere we go. Once in a while, we use the wheelchair when we have to. But she's pretty steady. And last week, she gets out of the truck. We do our routine. We get home, all the appointments. And I get my stuff. I'm walking around. Well, she's already got herself out of the truck, which usually she waits for me. And I'm coming around the truck, and she's like, I need you. I'm like, well, I need you too, honey. I love you. She's like, no, I need you. And I could see she was going down. Drop my stuff and grab her. Right? We lean. When we're weak, we lean. We depend. We depend on God. Suffering makes us dependent on God. So when Paul spoke about the thorn in the flesh, remember what he said? He, he said in 2 Corinthians 12, 8 through 10, concerning this, I implored the Lord three times that it might leave me. He said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content in weaknesses and insults and distresses persecutions and difficulties for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, I am strong. God has chosen the weak things of this world, the foolish things. His power kicks in when my power runs out. If I'm trying to press in and press through something, and I may struggle for a long time until I finally remember, oh yeah, let go. And in my weakness and surrender to the Lord, then all of a sudden I'm out on the other side of it. No one is ever too weak to be powerful or only too strong. Find the person that says, no thanks, I got this covered, I can handle it on my own. Well, just step back and count the seconds before there's a face plant. The person who will quickly admit, I need help. Now there's a powerful person. I surrender. <laughs> I need some help. So, suffering and trials are going to do that. Suffering and trials are going to cause us to depend on him. Guys, don't waste the things you go through. Maybe you're going through a hard time. Don't waste it. Don't go sit in a corner at home. Don't hide underneath the, the covers in your bed and just not get out. Don't waste what you're going through. So don't be caught off guard by suffering. Don't be fearful by suffering. If you suffer, make sure you're suffering for the right reason. Be selective in your suffering. How many of you have caused some of your own suffering? <laughs> All of us at one time or another have caused our own suffering, right? First Peter 4, 16 through 17. If anyone suffers as a Christian, he's not to be ashamed, but is to glorify God in this name. For it is the time of judgment to begin with the household of God. And if it begins with us first, 
What will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? So we had kind of the two negatives, don't do's. Now we have do, do this. I want to go back to 1 Peter 4, verse 15 real quick. And it's not in the slides, but it says, make sure that none of you suffers as a murderer or a thief or evildoer or a troublesome meddler. I'll go back to that for a second because right in the middle of murderers and thieves and evildoers, we have a troublesome meddler, a busybody. They do as much damage. They're in other people's business. That's why the exhortation to all of us is, if it's none your business, <laughs> pray and move on. Right? Don't get involved in things that God is not leading you to get involved in. That's a whole other message. We'll set that aside. 1 Peter 4, 16 says, if anyone suffers as a Christian, he is not to be ashamed, but is to glorify God in this name. He's saying if you're going to suffer and you are going to at some point, make sure you're doing it for the right reason. He's telling them, don't retaliate against the government if they seize your property. Don't go steal it back, becoming a thief. Don't retaliate Roman Christian if they're violent against you by murdering them, because then you become a killer if you suffer, do so for being a Christian. Oh, That's hard. The side note here is that you know, sometimes we truly are suffering because things that we have done, choices that we have made. That's why he's saying, make sure that you're living a life of integrity. Make sure that you're living upright, that you're righteous in your daily walk with the Lord, in your words, in your actions, Make sure that your heart and your mind are following Christ. All right, the word Christian, do you know it's only found three times in the Bible? This is one of them. The other two are Acts 11 and Acts 26. You can find them there. The early church did not call themselves Christians. They referred to themselves as believers or the way or the brethren. The name Christian was a term that was derogatory. It was a, a nickname given by the Romans and the Greeks that, that wanted to set them apart from the rest of the Roman Empire. The majority of the Roman Empire were followers of Caesar. They held allegiance to him. They paid taxes to him. They worshiped him. They were not antagonistic against the government. Christians were the sect that didn't bow to Caesar. They were followers of Christ, not Caesar. They refused to say that Caesar was Lord, only that Christ is Lord. So it was a derogatory term. But these believers owned it. If that's the definition, so be it. We're all in. We embrace Jesus Christ with everything within our being. And for a while, I, I struggled with somebody calling me a Christian because every time you hear it on the news, what is it? Some crazy person. <laughs> oh, that Christian did that Westboro Baptist, right? And so I'm like, no, I'm a follower of Christ. But you know what, guys? I'm a Christian. I'm a follower of Christ. I stand proud and strong with that because my eyes are on him, not on the world. Be proud of what God has made you. So we continue our thought in verse 17. For it is time for judgment to begin with the household of God, if it begins with us first, what will it be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? 
This is a quote from Proverbs, basically, Proverbs 11.31. If the righteous will be rewarded in the earth, how much more the wicked and the sinner. It's time for judgment to begin in the house of God. Simply what he's already been saying, the, the purging, the purifying work of a loving God, using suffering to purify his church. So he says that if it's happening in the church, in the house of God, the next verse says it began with us, it will, what will be the outcome for those that don't believe, those that don't obey the gospel? In other words, we're saved as we work through difficult times. We're saved through our trials that we go through. Jesus is called the gate. Do you remember what kind of gate he's called that we walk through? Narrow. It's the narrow gate. Matthew 7, 13 and 14. Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction, and there are many who enter through it. For the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life, and there are few who find it. So the narrow gate, the, the narrow path is difficult. It's harder to travel. It takes self discipline. There's going to be trials. There's going to be tribulation. There's going to be suffering. It is a difficult way to go. It's not the easy way. So if our way is narrow and the road we walk on as believers is in a hostile world is difficult and it is inevitable, well, then the only thing that we live in right now that would be strange about that and about persecution is that if we're walking and we're not persecuted, what are you hiding? Do people at work know you're a Christian? Do people who live next to you know you're a Christian? I'm not telling you to go knock on the door and ask for persecution. But do they even know that you have faith in God? Paul said in the last part of Acts 14.22, through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. If that's true and it's hard for believers Think of how horribly painful it'll be eventually for the unbeliever. That's his point. What about the ungodly and the sinner? If God purifies his church through suffering, what about the end of the ungodly? You see, suffering in this world makes us long for heaven. Anybody ready for heaven? Every time somebody says, come Lord Jesus, come, we're like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm in, let's go. Suffering in this world makes us long for heaven, but this world, we have to remember, is all the heaven that some people are ever gonna see. So don't be caught off guard by suffering. Don't be fearful of suffering, but do be selective in your suffering. You are going to suffer, but make sure it's for the right reason. And the last one, finally, is be sensitive to your suffering. Verse 19, therefore those also who suffer according to the will of God shall entrust their souls to a faithful creator in doing what is right. I love the therefores in the Bible. He's talking about all this stuff and then he says, okay, now I'm gonna make it applicable. We already know what it's there for. Therefore, those who suffer according to the will of God, underline and highlight and remember that some of you have been told that suffering is never the will of God. I left that mess. <laughs> no longer part of that mess. I saw too much damage from people saying, no, suffering is not, you know, you just don't have enough faith. You're not engaging your faith the right way. Suffering is never the will of God. 
God wants his children to always be prosperous, healthy, smiling, happy, happy, happy. That's what they're teaching, but they're not teaching out of God's word. It's never God's will. If you think that's what God's will is, then you need to tear some pages out of your Bible because there's a lot of pages that show us that we are going to go through suffering. We are going to engage in it. It's going to be around us at all the time. And therefore, also, those also who suffer according to the will of God, what should they do? They should commit, shall entrust or commit their souls to a faithful creator in doing what is right. Commit, a banking term, meaning to deposit something for safekeeping. I'm going to deposit my trust in the Lord. I don't understand what's happening in the world around me. Life is hard. Life is painful. I don't understand what's going on. I want answers and they're not coming. But I'll deposit my trust in God's bank. That's faith. Okay, I don't understand all these things, but I'm going to press in in faith and I'm going to believe in God. Okay, God, I know you're in control. I believe. I know you're there. Right? That's, that's, that's that tension that we've been talking about. I know that God is in control and I still got to walk through this thing. And there's that tension that rubs. That's that heat. There's some of that purification happening. Personally, for me, it's that, God, I know what you've done and what you did in Pam's life last time around. We went through leukemia stuff. I know you're in control, but we still got to do this thing. And there's that tension again. There's that heat and that pressure and that refining. Put your trust in God's bank. He'll give you dividends. Dividends of blessings into your account. He's not going to let anything that you deposit go to waste. Every bit of trust that you give to him will be rewarded. Faith, even in the midst of suffering, lean in on him. Lean in. God, I know you got me. I'm trusting because I can't do it. I don't see how it's going to happen. Four words I want to close with that I think verse 19 is all about. We commit and we put that in the bank. We trust God, but then he says, doing what is right. Therefore, those also who suffer according to the will of God shall entrust their souls to the faithful creator in doing what is right. Continue. Continue to do what is right. Continue to do what is good. If what got you in trouble with the Roman government was being a good and faithful Christian, don't stop. So we tend to pause, don't we? We get a little pushback or a little rebuff. It's the same aspect of when we did a missions trip in, in, in Antigua. And we're out there on the promenade where the cruise ships come in and we're proclaiming the gospel message. And they came out and told us we had to leave. We made it 20 minutes. But when they told us to leave, well, we dispersed. So really what they did is they took this group of teenagers and leaders that were proclaiming the gospel and dispersed us into a crowd where we proclaimed the gospel. <laughs> it was fine. See, if, 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 if what you did was right and was good and you get in trouble, well, stay focused. Don't stop doing it. Don't go hide in a corner. Oh, I got my hand slapped. Talking about Jesus. Pray about it. Make sure you're being led by the Holy Spirit. Don't just do it in the flesh. 
Make sure God is leading you. But what happens when we get pushed back on, we tend to take it down a notch when we're attacked for our faith. Peter's saying don't do that. Commit to God. Commit to doing good. Be obedient to the leading of the Holy Spirit. And here's the thing about suffering. Peter wasn't just a professor. He wasn't talking about this from a book that was written by somebody else who experienced it. He had been there. This was real. This is tangible suffering. He was walking into the reality of this with his brothers and sisters in the Lord. He knew and understood what was happening. Peter also got this perspective from Jesus, and we remember the story of the blind man in John 9, 1 through 12, and we're not going to read it. We're going to do Scott's paraphrase, but a man blind from birth, the disciples see him. They don't know who this man is. They don't have a relationship with him. They look at him academically. This is a case study. And they ask, well, did this man's sin or his parents' sin cause the blindness? They truly wanted to ask the, the why question, the question that never goes away. Why is there pain and suffering? Who is responsible? Why did this happen? Was it his sin or his parents? And Jesus, of course, was on point with his answer. Neither his sin nor his parents' sin caused this, but that the glory of God might be revealed in him. Jesus, he never answered the question why. Instead, he said, I must work the works of him who sent me while it is still day, for the night is coming when no man can work. And Jesus just simply healed him. Jesus says, listen, guys, this man does not care about the theology behind this. He doesn't care academically or philosophically about evil in the world. He can't see. And I'm going to take care of that. He met him. Jesus met him at the point of the need, head on. That's the example that we have to follow. Remember that Christians are the ones who started the first hospitals. Christians are the ones that started the first orphanages. It's in the DNA of a Christian to serve and to help people in need. Christianity, birthed into a hostile, brutal, Greco-Roman world that saw life as disposable. Hmm, almost sounds like America. Jesus saw life as precious, therefore life was cared for. We want to do more, we want to be active, we want, we want to do it today, we want to do it practically. That's why we give a cold bottle of water to a homeless person or give food to the action center. Or it's why we did food bags to the apartments behind us. It's why we do FAM, the, the foster care ministry. That's, that's why we support those families. That's why uh, we support the caseworkers and, and what's going on in the community. We're, we're reaching out. In the midst of that, are we looking at how God will use us even in the midst of our own trials and persecution. See what happens, things get heavy, things get a little bit hard, and we want to just stay home, right? I don't, man, I'm grinding through this thing, I'm just gonna stay here in my, my lazy boy, or I'm just gonna stay in bed and pull the covers over till it goes away. The reality is in the midst of those trials, in the midst of the persecution, in the midst of the suffering, that's when we should get out the most. 
because God will use you. Then all of a sudden you're not looking at yourself saying, oh, poor me. You're looking at somebody else. You're going, ah, man, how can I serve them? How can I bring some hope to them? How can I encourage them? God has shown me this over the last seven years with Pam. Started with the breast cancer. Where all of a sudden I'm like, I'm ready. I've watched Western movies. I know how to circle the wagons. We're going to protect. We're going to get the wagons circled. And God is like, no, you're not. We're going to tell everybody what's going on. And we're going to minister and we're going to engage. I remember uh, Brother John, he was here first service. I remember him one day coming to church and I'm, he's like, man, I was going to call you this week. I was really struggling. I needed some prayer. But I know what you and Pam are going through. So, yeah, I didn't call you. I'm like, dude, call me. I need to pray for you. <laughs> about what's going on in your life. I can't just go sit and wait for the next thing, right? That's all of us. I don't care what you're going through right now. Get out of it. You're still, it's gonna go, yeah, you're suffering, you're struggling. Keep ministering, keep encouraging, keep looking for opportunities to share hope and watch how God brings strength to you and walks you through that. And there's a cartoon of two turtles and they're at a fence and they're having a conversation and one turtle says, sometimes I like to ask God why he allows poverty and famine and injustice uh, to happen and when he's gonna do something about it. And then the second turtle turns to him and says, well, I'm afraid that God might ask me that same question. When are we going to engage? Yeah, hard stuff's happening, heavy stuff happening. There's things you have to take care of. That's the reality of life but it doesn't stop us from making an impact in the people that God brings across our path. So we learned last week that we are the hands, the feet, the mouth. We are the body of Christ. We act and move and speak on his behalf. We're the ones who get involved. You've probably heard uh, the insurance companies use the term active God, right? Lightning strike, hurricane, tornado, active God. But what would happen if we shifted that perspective to when people heard that term, act of God, it's because they've seen a Christian reach out and act in compassion and love towards others. There's an act of God. What if we change that? Because we all do it together. Here's some perspective for you as we close. If you woke up this morning with more health than illness, then you're better off than the six million people who are not going to survive this week. If you've never experienced the danger of battle or the loneliness of prison or the agony of torture, the pain of starvation, then you're ahead of 500 million people in the world. If you attended church without fear of harassment, arrest, torture, death, well, you're blessed than more than three billion people in the world. If you have food in your refrigerator, clothes on your back, a roof over your head, a place to sleep, well then you're richer than 75% of the world. If you have money in the bank, in your wallet, some spare change in a dish someplace, then you're among the top 8% of the world's wealthiest. Because we are truly blessed we are truly favored. He's, he's given us so much freedom and so much favor. 
shouldn't we be doing something with that? Jesus talked about loving the least of these in Matthew 25. And in James 127, James talks about the true religion of being caring for the widows and the orphans. And there's so many around the world. So rather than just dealing with it academically, we want to enter into it. It's not something that we have to do. It's something that we choose to do. I'm choosing to follow the Lord. I'm choosing to stay engaged in my relationship with Christ. And even in the midst of the suffering, don't wait to engage in your relationship with God until everything is smooth and easy. It's not going to happen. Live with wisdom in the midst of suffering and keep the proper perspective. Stay engaged. As long as you and I have breath, we have the ability to share our faith and to bring people hope, even if we're suffering. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the word. Thank you that it's true and it's applicable today just as much today as as when it was spoken and written. So Father, we just simply ask that you would help us. The believers in the early church, they struggled with the concept of suffering and persecution, yet they endured. And sometimes we're confused as well. We we know, God, that you are all-powerful, and we believe that you love us. We know that you could stop the hardships, the suffering at any time. But help us to remember that you are wise, that you are in control, that you use suffering to deepen our relationship with you. Help us to display your glory to the world. Father, as you call us to say and to do difficult things, would you empower us with your Holy Spirit that we may be an effective witness for you Help us not to worry about persecution, rather just to be simply obedient to you. Remembering that eternity is, is before us. <laughs> Lord, we want to be there with you. We strive to be in heaven with you. We long for it. But Lord, while we're here on this earth, help us, help us to obey, especially when it's difficult knowing that all consequences are in your hands, and and we thank you that you reward faithfulness. So help us not be caught off guard by suffering. Help us not to be uh, fearful of that suffering. Help us live our lives in such a way that we are suffering for the right reasons, not things that we have caused. Help us to be sensitive to to the suffering that's happening within our lives and around us. In Jesus' name. Everything we've talked about, everything we do as a church and a ministry, it all points to the cross. It all points to the gospel message. And the reality is that, that God created the heavens and the earth and they were perfect. He created man and woman and they were perfect. They had a relationship with the Father, with the Creator. And sin came into the world and it destroyed that relationship. It brought doubt. It wrecked it. And ever since then, as human beings, we try to fill that void, continually trying to fill that void. It can be drugs, alcohol, pornography, money, religion. 
thinking if you're religious enough that you're going to make it, all those things will, will fall apart and that void will be right back there again. The reality is that God sent his son, Jesus, from heaven to earth, where he went to the cross, where he was brutally murdered on your behalf. His blood was shed to cover your sins and my sins. He did it because he loves you that much. He went to the tomb. He was in the grave where he rose again and went to heaven with the Father where he's at right now. Because of that act, we have an opportunity to repent and believe, to ask for forgiveness of our sins and to turn from those sins and to believe in him. That's the only thing that can restore our relationship with the Father. The simplicity is spoken of in, in Romans. It says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It's you having a conversation from your heart to God's heart, making things right, surrendering your life to him, asking for forgiveness. It's that conversation that brings a restored relationship with the Father. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, if that's you this morning, whether you've never had a relationship with him or maybe you've wandered and you need to restore that relationship, I'm gonna say a little prayer. It's just a conversation between you and God. But just repeat this after me. Dear Jesus, I believe that you came to earth with a purpose, that you died on the cross for me. I believe that you rose from the grave and are alive today. I repent. Please forgive me of my sins. I turn from them. Please come into my life today and, and be Lord of my life. Fill me with your Holy Spirit that I may share the hope that I have now with others. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer in this room, I'd love to chat with you. I'd love to pray with you. If you prayed it online, shoot me an email, scott at foothillscalvary.org, and I'll reach out to you as well. This has been Alive and Powerful with Pastor Scott Morrison. We hope you were blessed by today's message. Alive and Powerful is the radio ministry of Foothills Calvary, a fresh and growing fellowship in Lakewood, Colorado. We invite you to come and join us as we study the Word together, Sunday mornings at 9 and 11 a.m. We meet at 12344 West Alameda Parkway in Lakewood, just a few blocks west of Union and Alameda. For more information about Foothills Calvary, please visit our website at foothillscalvary.org. That's foothillscalvary.org.